and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. My name is A.J. Hennenberg, and I'm joined by my colleagues... Uh, Graham Donaldson. And Thomas Magby. And we all work at Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. It's a classical school, and we're here to talk about classical stuff. And today... Yeah, so yesterday we had a snow day in Texas, which is hilarious because a Texas snow day is like 50 degrees. (laughs) Yep. And it was a beautiful day yesterday. It was a beautiful yeah. day yesterday. It but, was sunny and balmy by noon. <laughs> but um, when the public yeah, no when the the public schools cancel or whatever they decisions they make, we just follow suit. And so they canceled school because some parts of like San Antonio and southern, more southern like Buda got hit pretty yeah. I mean not when they shut hit down hard, uh, parts of Mopac were it shut was down like too. an yeah. inch and a half. So, so hit hard means Yeah, but for Texas. <laughs> anyway, but this means that we had an entire day where we didn't have to do work. We could do leisure. And so oh I know. Can, and so we you want had to talk about a, leisure today? I think we should talk about leisure today. Thomas, can you, you tell us about speak leisure? For yourself. <laughs> I, I graded all day. Well, what, so this is probably a good place for us to start. So um so you all got an unexpected day off yesterday. It's true. Man, you could have used that day for anything. You could have uh, gone rock climbing. You could have uh, written. It was snowy. The, the it was a snowpocalypse. <laughs> By noon it was gone. Um so what did y'all do? What did y'all do with your your day off yesterday? Why don't you go first, Berg? I sort of booped around the house until <laughs> 11 a.m., which I am want to do when I can sleep in. And then I graded a bunch. And then I went and had a... Does, does people really want to know my schedule for yeah, yesterday? I think so. No, yeah, this is part of the conversation. Yeah. All right, and so this, will, I, this will tie into our topic for the day also. I went and met with a lady about DJing for a climbing competition. And then I went and watched Project Runway with... Mr. Graham Donaldson. Season 16. It's heating is up. There, I'm sorry. Is it actually season 16? Yeah, it's actually yeah. season wow, 16. that's terrifying. And we've been faithful watchers since I when? think you and I have started watching it together season 11 or so. Yeah, and I watched before that. And then we've all watched before <laughs> that. And then for me, I like went to the gym and, gosh, read, but oh. um, a little bit. I did do some homework, some grading, but um, having knowing what you're talking about today... I'm full of shame that I did not <laughs> do what Peeper commands us to do well, maybe. in our leisure. Well, we'll come back to that. Like, what what is Peeper actually talking about here? Um, so when we originally were going to record this podcast, it was going to be right before Thanksgiving break. And so we, you know, we could have planned our break time to uh, to follow with this goal of leisure. But I guess we'll just use this for Christmas time instead, which is just around the corner. Uh, so what I'll be talking about today is a... It's not really, I mean, it's an essay, an essay by Joseph Pieper called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Uh, And perhaps more importantly, I should ask, is it leisure or leisure? What is the correct pronunciation? It depends on if you're wearing any velvet. If you're wearing velvet, it's leisure. As you can see, head to toe velvet right now. So leisure is the way I should pronounce this. I think you just follow your heart on this one, (laughs) Thomas. Please tell me that's the advice you give to our students (laughs) also. (laughs) Should be an MLA format? I don't know. Just follow follow that little heart. heart. It's good. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about leisure, the basis of culture. Uh, so uh, I guess so. What I have here, I have a, a summary of there are these five different sections within the essay. Um, but let's start out with you all read this and did well, a who who is Joseph Pieper? Joseph Pieper is a German Catholic. Um, he uh, was born in 1904. He was a professor of the philo- of philosophy of religion at the University of Munster, uh, uh, where they also make the cheese. I don't know. That just made sense in my mind. So he this this book uh, came um, is from 1948. So that was after he had gotten Man. to the University of, of Munster. Um, and another 
work of Peepers that is excellent is The Four Cardinal Virtues. And The Four Cardinal Virtues is a funny book because he actually wrote it in like four parts. Like he would write the part on uh, prudence and then a couple years later he wrote on justice and then fortitude and then temperance. Well, it's hard to practice all four at the same time. (laughs) So he just kind of focused on one at a time and then kept going. Uh, it's a very good book also. Uh, my introduction to Joseph Pieper came through a book that is aptly named Joseph Pieper, an anthology, uh, be- because it's an anthology of Joseph Pieper's works. So instead of it taking all of his works and combining it into one book, they take excerpts from each book. Um, it's an easy way to kind of get used to the arguments of Joseph Pieper um, before diving into the full works themselves. But we'll be talking spe- specifically about leisure today. We'll probably at some point come back to the idea of virtues since we talked about vices not too long ago. But So uh, leisure and the title is Leisure as the Basis of Culture? Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Uh, So he gets to that point at the very end of this book, but just let's talk about – I want to hear about y'all's experience having read this book. Uh, Do you remember how you felt going through this book? We can even start with, like, do I remember something you remember from the book this itself? Book? Yeah, I, sure. I remember it not feeling leisurely yeah. the read. It wasn't, it wasn't something I would choose to go back to if I had to choose. There, there are certain things that define my thinking that I always want to return to and reread. This was not one of them. Yeah. From what I remember from Pieper is he kind of was on the same camp as Aristotle, which is when you have all of your needs met, um, like food, shelter – those sorts of things. Um, school is, or learning is what you do in your spare time. Like, like, like learning is rest. If I remember correctly, uh, skole, the Greek word skole actually means, means rest, which our kids think is hilarious when you tell them that. Cause yep. you're like, well, you know what school means? It means rest. And they're like, well, you should see my weekend. <laughs> um, and so if I remember, he, he says that, like, yeah, that if you are full, actually at leisure, you are, it's not that you're just sort of watching television, right. but you are actually improving your soul. Yeah, that's good. So everything you just said, that's a, that's a great place to start with it. So in his introduction to the work, he talks about what Graham just said, that the word skole means leisure. And that's where we get our modern word school. Uh, so school was supposed to be, or was originally this place of leisure. Uh, I subbed in a leadership class last year, and this this is the thing I wanted to talk with them about, that the, you know, the word for school comes from leisure, and I put that on the board, and just like Graham said, they like laughed me. They laughed at me. Like they thought I was telling a joke that, that those two things were supposed to be combined or, or related to one another. And I get that. I would not describe my uh, school experience as leisurely. I don't know if you all would. I kind of feel like my school experience was leisurely, but not in the way that Peeper is talking about. More in the yes. way of not enough was asked of me, mm. and I was not willing to go above and beyond more what was just the minimal of what was just asked of me. And that's probably, you know, Canadian public school. Oh no, I shot for a ninety-three. Like I wanted to get <laughs> right, right above that's the little, A minus, yeah. but not but work not any have harder to, than that. Not have to work any harder. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like when I think of school, when I think of of high school for me, it's just like a lot of like PlayStation mm. and hanging out with friends. And I don't remember the content of, of school. I don't actually remember like feeling like learning had any currency for me until university. And I was taking a class or two that just melted my brain. And then all of a sudden, like this meant something, um, but definitely not in high school. So it was leisurely, but in the, uh, it was not leisure. It was, but then, so that's interesting. So then was university more, Leisurely, and we will define this term in a second, then you'd say your high school, middle school, elementary experiences were? Totally. Yeah, I would say that. That was where everything sort of opened up for me. 
Yeah, I, I I don't know. I sort of approached education the same all the way through, and part of it was just an like, and I have to get this done attitude. And I don't know. I was I was not necessarily a proactive part of my own story in all of my schooling. I think I just sort of let school wash over me, mm. and I enjoyed the. It was like being at the beach, right? I'm at the beach. Here come the waves. I'm, just go with it. I'm just gonna roll with it and yeah. learn. And I was I was really into school. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed math. I enjoyed science. I enjoyed all of it. But mm. I don't think there was this realization in me that I need to focus on my education and learn as much as I can because eventually it'll stop. It was just like, mm. this is what people want me to do. I'm going to do it. Here come the things and I'll learn what I have to learn. Yeah. So what is leisure, Thomas? So before I jump into that one, uh, so when you all read this a few years ago, this you all had a conversation at Paideia and there were, I think, five people on the stage. And something that was brought up a few times is that Peeper is not very clear in how he approaches the subject. And I didn't realize this until I wrote or took notes on each of the different Section So that there's this one essay split into these five sections. He does not define leisure, which, again, is the title of this essay until the third section. So he spends two sections talking about this subject without actually saying what it is. And then he goes into that in the third one. So we're going to we'll, we'll start there. We'll start with the third and kind of jump around from there. So Peeper's definition of leisure, he, he gets at a definition of it by its opposition to work, leisure as this opposition to work. So whereas work is activity... Leisure is non-activity. He has this quote in there about it where he says that leisure is about this inward calm, this silence, um, this acceptive attitude of mind. Uh, So it sounds almost like the difference between if you listen to a previous episode of Ratio and Intellectus, right? Where one is reason, the work of reason, and one is letting the object work upon you. So so, uh, the second section of this essay talks about, actually references uh, Ratio and Intellectus. So... This is kind of the sequel to that podcast, which I listened to again ahead of uh, today's episode. And from that episode, there's kind of this question of like, what, like, what is the, what does this matter? Like, what is the implication of this distinction between ratio and intellectus? And I think this, I think leisure is the answer to that. Like the reason there's a distinction between the two, the reason that distinction matters is that one is useful in leisure and one is the work that we're doing every other hour of the day. Um, Ratio being what is typically valued of us, intellectus is what we receive, um, and what we are receptive to. Can you give me like an example? What would, if I was doing the same activity, let's say I was reading a book, what would be, what would the ratio or what would the work of that, what would be doing that in a, in a labor way and what would be doing that in a leisure way? I'm going to change your example. You, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I reject your um, reality you question and you want to ask my own. Answer. Oh. question I want to answer. I'm going to address something else. A little bit of... You hey, have been watching the what, presidential debates. Was the friend. takeaway of the logical fallacies not use these logical fallacies? Wait, is that... Hold on. So you've talked about in class sometimes uh-huh. that you'll be teaching them about romantic poets. Yeah. And you're doing this work of going word by word and saying, you know, this is what the meaning of this is. But students will have this moment, this aha moment, where yeah. like, it's, a, it's like they receive the meaning of it and yeah. something happens to them. I think that's the easiest way to think about the, that distinction, is that one is... By diving into a, a complicated work and going word by word and trying to really understand the meaning, that's the uh, – I looked up the pronunciation. So you can do ratio or ratio. So I apologize for listeners who are judging me right now. But uh, that's the ra- – Don't apologize to the haters, Thomas. Sorry, haters going to hate. That's the ratio work, uh, <laughs> yeah. having to dive in and really work at it. But intellectus is that you sometimes just receive the meaning, that by having done all of this work, you get to the end and it suddenly makes sense. So how can you – if we want both our students to be able to do both of those things, I feel like if I give them an assignment 
or if I give them, let's say I give them the essay prompt or the, the final thing that they're going to be producing at the end of the lesson, the end of the five weeks of doing Romeo and Juliet, for example, I always have a rough time justifying giving them the prompt at the beginning because I feel like then they're only going to read the book with eyes for how they for that. do that, yes. that assignment. And I feel like that is more of the, the labor or the, yes. the, the work of English literature, which they need to do, and there needs to be some work. But how do you design a class or a course or a five-week um, section of reading a book that actually creates that leisure where they're just receiving it and they're just enjoying it? Because something tells me that sometimes students don't just enjoy the homework, the reading that I give them to do at home. What? <laughs> what? Do you- I have two answers. One is that I think you'll answer this in the next podcast you're recording on the trivium in that there are different ways to approach that piece of there are different ways to approach Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And it's not supposed to be blissful every at every level of it. There is a work that's required to get to that point of being able to receive uh, receive the knowledge, receive the intellectus. And And there are books where that's even more evident. Yes. Moby Dick, for example, is not an easy read. Do you watch Parks and Rec? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's this part where Ron Swanson is like, uh, I hate books with me- with metaphors. My favorite book is Moby Dick. It's just about a whaling venture. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, someone like says to him, like, you know, it's about more than that. He goes, no, it's not. But <laughs> that was really good because we read that last year. Um, Sorry, I derailed your, your thought process. Sorry, yeah. Can we get back instead of, yes, what were you? Where, There's where a second one I don't this? remember it. But so let's go. Um, so the uh, ratio and intellectus is in his second book or his second section of this essay. So we'll come back to that in a second. Okay. So we'll, uh, I'll finish the definition of leisure. So first off, the way that Pieper is defining leisure. First is that it, leisure is non-activity. Second is that uh, leisure is contemplative as opposed to work, which is toil. Wait, isn't, a whole, isn't that self-contradictory? Non-activity and contemplation. Is contemplation an activity? I would say it is. So this is fun. So his way of clarifying what he means by, con- oh, I'm sorry. There's a, a word I left off. Leisure is contemplative celebration. Sorry. Which you still may view as an activity. So you are in your, still put, an activity in your place, my friend. Add a champagne. <laughs> you have yourself <laughs> leisure. So from that first point, we take that it's non-activity, which it is this – it is looking out and it is being receptive to what is outside of oneself. It is looking and saying creation is good. Things out, These things are good. The second part is celebrating um, what one is receiving. So man looks and affirms it as good. And he talks – his prototype of what the celebration looks like is, is the festival. The festival is the origin of leisure. So it's not just being receptive and receiving all this information, but it's taking joy in what you're seeing outside of yourself. So it's that celebration is the next level of that. I don't know if I would say that's an activity, though. You all might disagree with that. So if I'm sitting in this room and I'm taking in the greenness of that wall and I'm just like, man, I love that greenness of the wall. Is that an activity that I've done by enjoying it? You're not asleep. Sure. I'll take that. Wait, but as festival, so in that definition, so people would say it is more leisurely to be doing something like a big tailgate before a football game than something passive like watching a movie. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the tailgate. I don't know if that would... Well, I'm thinking like what's a modern day festival, right? Like what is a modern day celebration of of something where um, people are getting together and and they're celebrating an event? Peeper's final answer is so in book five or in section five he says that Sabbath is the ultimate celebration is the ultimate festival in that it is a day that cult, 
well, within the Christian community, you would culturally say no work is to be done on this day. Yeah. It's only for divine worship. And to engage in divine worship is to you're doing something for its own sake, which is the worship of God. You're affirming all that God has made as good because it is a good God who has made it. Um, and it's just this receptivity, it's this openness to whatever God would say in that divine worship. So his answer would not be, I, I took a religious studies class in um, uh, when I was getting my MBA and it was on religion and capitalism. And they talked about football as the, as the modern American religion. So I guess there are some maybe comparisons to be sure. made there, but Pieper as a, as a Catholic ultimately takes this to Sabbath as the ultimate experience of leisure, uh, which we should come back to in a second. Sorry. So the third element of leisure is that um, work has utility while leisure exists for its own sake. So there is no utility to leisure. For it to be leisure, it must be useless. But if I enjoy, I don't know, say designing furniture, that's, I I have trouble seeing that as not leisure, right? It it is an activity. It's something I enjoy and it's definitely useful. Yep. But if that's something I enjoy doing, then what's the issue? Yeah, his opposition is more to the social, like the external utility of a thing. So uh, if you are designing, you said furniture? Yeah. So if you're designing furniture to make money, then that has a utility to it. You're selling it to someone else. But if you're designing that furniture for the sake of furniture itself, like because you want to do that activity, that's different. What if I do make money with it? Then it's just a byproduct, as long as that's not your reason for it. So the he, so, does, he does not explicitly reference money in this. So the point of leisure isn't so the the idea is not so much that it's non-activity or contemplation, but that it's the celebration of the thing for its own sake. You you have brought all three definitions into one sentence by saying that. So there is so these are three elements of it. It is receptivity, it is uh, celebration, and it is for its own sake. But but if I'm not being receptive, I'm producing furniture. You are just like you. The feeling of the wood and the tools and the I don't know. Probably not. That probably wouldn't be receptive. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like we're sort of dancing around it. Okay. No, but I mean, there's something receptive of the the craft, right? Of the enjoying of the experience, the aesthetic of of the wood shop and the smell and the feel and that kind of thing. Like, for example, if you took that, if you could. If you had to, if you, there was a way to produce furniture with taking that away, you would feel like you have gone down a step as opposed to gone up a step to increase your productivity, right? Like if you're doing it just for labor, mm-hmm. stripping it away of its aesthetic qualities would be seen as a good. You can get, you can churn these chairs out faster for more money. But if you're doing it from a place of leisure, um, then you are, um, then you've given, you've given up something, um, my, and that my, is the con- that is the sort of enjoyment of the craft itself. My my point is that it's still an activity. Take, take away production from this mm-hmm. and take away activity from this, and it is no longer leisure. Well, can you? If can I you... cannot act and create furniture, then my leisure goes away. If no furniture is ever created, then the leisure is at least hampered. If, right. What I, I make better example. Source, I actually do make pottery. Like yeah. I do ceramics, and yeah. if I don't actually get a mug at the end of it. Like, it's kind of a bummer. And if I don't actually get to make something with my hands, then something is wrong. And I would consider that a leisure activity for me. So this distinct, So when we talked about – two thoughts. So when we talked about the, uh, the – um, not sins, what we, vices. Do we call them vices? Mm-hmm. Last, uh, one of the vices we talked about was sloth or acedia. And one form of what acedia looks like is this – uh, when we say sloth, we tend to think of like a lazy person, so like an external form of laziness. But the classical understanding of sloth is an interner, inter, what? An internal 
uh, uh, disquiet, an internal um, not at peace. And so to be, for activity versus non-activity, there's this, what Pieper describes it as is an inward calm. So if you can do your pottery with an inward calm, then that would qualify for leisure. I think it's impossible to do it without that inward calm. So <laughs> unless, I'm a, uh, unless I'm a corporation and I need to turn out 100 mugs by the end of the day. Um, so like, but for the craftsman World's number it, one boss. <laughs> Yay! Um, so for the craftsman to do it, sure. Like, I, th I think that yeah. would be, uh, that could go with leisure. Um, the other thing is that what people will point to as the ultimate form of leisure is uh, philosophy. Uh, and that's classic. What, I know, of course. Philosophers saying that philosophy is the, the ultimate form of leader. Not <laughs> color me, not surprise. He should be our leader, <laughs> our king, our philosopher king. I just, that's the, isn't it true that no, every philosopher says, says that, that philosophy is the end of man? Well, yeah. and every potter, but they're right? So no, <laughs> says no. If everybody was a potter, that's bad. Then I can't make any money off it. <laughs> so uh, th this essay, leisure: the basis of culture, is uh, in the. Uh, so the original version of this book was published, uh, I think, in 52 or 54 with an intro by T.S. Eliot, and it was just the book by itself. In 2009, it was republished, yes, with an introduction by James Shaw, who um, is also a great writer and speaker. I guess more writer now. But what it's paired with, its leisure is paired with the philosophical act. And what James Shaw is saying is that those two arguments must go together for there to be a complete argument here. So leisure sets up that we need something that is um, receptive and celebratory and exists for its own sake. And then Pieper's answer to what that is, is philosophy. So I think the questions we're having here is that in Pieper's framework, uh, pottery is a lesser form of leisure than philosophy. And so that's why we have all these questions of like, does it qualify or not? Because philosophy is what qualifies ultimately. Oh, this is, uh, this is kind of, per I mean, I go for it. Let's so go. I'm, I'm going to take a little issue with philosophy as the ultimate end of man in my next podcast, okay. which is great news, but uh, philosophy is the ultimate end, the ultimate leisure, I can maybe it's, see that that's okay, but I don't know. I, some men definitely don't enjoy philosophy for its own sake, but would enjoy pottery for its own sake. And that's, I, I've been thinking about this in preparation for today, because I think all of our episodes have eventually come back to this tripartite soul, that what does it mean of a person if they are if they do not desire leisure? What does it mean of a person if they don't desire contemplation or celebration or non-activity? Would you look at that person and say, that's fine. They just have it. It's a, is it a different preference or is it a moral matter to say, you know, they work seven days a week and they work 100 hours a week? Is that okay? Well, it's not, you're not making a fair distinction. I was making a distinction between the potter and the philosopher, not between someone who has no leisure and someone who takes part in leisure, right? If I can do pottery while celebrating the thing itself, while engaging in an inward calm, yep. then I am engaging leisure just as the philosopher is. I just don't like, I don't want to think about the ultimate end of man. I want to think about what a great shape for a mug is. So what, what about a man who we'd say is per, perhaps unschooled and can't engage in philosophy in the same way that someone else does? Is he barred from, from leisure forever? I would say no. I'm trying to find a good peeper answer to this one. So... Um, I didn't, this is the one part I thought we weren't going to talk about, but so five sections to this essay, this fourth one, he calls an excursus. Have you ever heard that word before? He's making that up. Uh, it's a digression. It's like literally a, a digression is what he calls this fourth section. And he talks about, so, uh, him writing in the forties, he is thinking a lot about communism and he talks about, um, proletarianization. 
So it's people moving from owning a farm, owning a business to being a wage worker at a corporation. That's what proletarianization means. But the problem he points to is not that people are moving from owning a business to being a wage worker. It's that they're moving um, from owning a business and having autonomy to being satisfied uh, uh, just in getting a wage. Uh, they're satisfied. They're one track. They don't care about any interior part of the person. And so is it a problem to make mugs? No. But I can also see someone that all they want to do is make mugs. And if they make money off of the mugs and they're doing it seven days a week, like that's where you get into a problem. Yeah. Of there's only one dimension. To the but then process. they're not doing it for leisure. They're doing it because that's all they, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Does Peeper talk at all about the, the problem with like mechanization and industrialization? Like when the man has moved from crafting the entire piece of pottery and has to think about what makes like he's doing the whole process. Because AJ, just I come back to something that you said earlier um, that when you when you're making a mug, you're not necessarily engaging in philosophy, but you still have an idea of the good. Yes. What is like the good for this mug? What makes a good mug? And by extraction, like the good mug is going to make the user of the mug's life better. Well, if you're making the user of the mug's life better, you have a concept of what is better for that user. And now we're already into in sort of metaphysics. Yeah. In a, in a small way, but just in a small way, uh, maybe you're not sitting there while you're making this mug actively thinking about the good of man, but you're coming to it with some sort of intentions of what the person is. So the, Thomas, my question was, does he have this idea that autonomization or mechanization has removed the individual person from the process and all they're doing is like sticking a handle on a mug on the yes. conveyor belt and sticking a handle on the mug on the conveyor belt that, yes. and getting money and then they can go off? Is, is that the break between yeah. leisure and labor? Uh, so th this is what, when he's talking about the problem of proletarianization, which I hate that word, as in, it's hard to say, is that what it does is that it makes people, um, like I said, satisfied in one track. He also says, so he says what needs to happen is an enlarging of the scope of life beyond the confines of merely useful servile work because proletarianization does the opposite of that. It, it focuses your scope on just adding this one widget, adding this one handle, doing this one thing. And so... We don't need to change our job, but we need to think more broadly about what it is to be a man, not just in doing this survival work, not just in doing work that serves one function, uh, but being – it is not is – not, you are not fully a human if all you do is work. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm getting at with this. And so, AJ, to your question, if that is done not as their form of work, uh, can pottery be the means to leisure? Yes. People would say it is a lesser form, but it's still a form. And so that was what I was taking yeah, not issue everyone, with. Not everyone is, should be a not everyone should be a full time philosopher. And not, people would not argue then, for that either. But then he is condemning people to lesser forms of leisure. And that this and that's, is a classical idea. That's that what I take issue yeah. with: is that different people, different preferences. Philosoph philosophy is the highest form of leisure, and that anyone who does not prefer philosophy cannot engage in the highest form of leisure. That that is what I'm taking issue with. I think we're also confusing, like when we as modern people hear philosophy, we think of a department in a university yep. and people who are philosophers. Whereas I think classically philosophy was like if you were making a mug and you ever had that thought of what makes a good mug? And is this person who is using my mug happier because of, of the goodness of my mug? How can I improve their experience of this mug? Like in that sense, you are entering into the philosophy of, of things. You're talking about the good and you're, and you're sort of moving into metaphysics. So I think classically 
they didn't have like philosophy as a subject or as a section. It was almost like a a category of thinking about something. Um, and so I, th- I think that's maybe what Peeper is um, getting yes, at. I'm, I'm with you there. Okay. But again, my, my poor Potter, who has spent so many years doing Potter pottery as his leisure, is condemned to mere moments of the highest form of leisure. Right? He does philosophy, and if that's, if that's true, if he only thinks of it for a couple of minutes, and then he goes back to making his pots and enjoying them, then he is only really engaged in the highest form of leisure for a couple of minutes out of those couple of years, which... I take a lot of issue with. So, so Peter's argument would be that there, there should be six days of work which are non-leisure, and there should be one day of leisure. So everyone, we that is a common experience available to, to the Christian. We We just look at that mug, right? Or just (laughs) yeah, just take it all in, or like that's your day of experiencing that. So, Mm. if if we take Sabbath seriously and we take seriously, yeah, to not work one day a week, we all have access to that same leisure, and if. We take it the full Christian angle, which is where Peeper ends up. We have entered into uh, uh, we've entered into rest through our salvation. The most important and necessary work for us to have accomplished has been accomplished for us in Christ, and so we can rest fully in that. So that same rest is available to all of us. It is not just certain people of of means that don't have to work. So it seems like we are now linking leisure instead of with philosophy with rest, and if. I find pottery with if I find pottery to be restful, then if we call we can call that the highest form of leisure. My my issue is with the definition and linking philosophy as with leisure in its own end, and I see linking philosophy with the highest end of man. Right, the highest end of man is contemplation, and that's what I'll take issue with in my next podcast. I'm so excited! Yeah, oh, this is gonna be so good. I I hope. Okay. But, you know, hey, fingers crossed. <laughs> it'll be a good podcast. Yeah. But my point is that. To say that only those who engage in philosophy as their leisure are the ones engaging in the highest form of leisure, I think is wrong. I just think it's wrong. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, I don't think you have to agree with Peeper on this one. Maybe part of it, what I hear you saying is that Peeper comes at this because he is a philosopher and so he defines... That's what he enjoys. Sure. Uh, that, that isn't the justification he gives, but I can see that because Aristotle does the same thing. Um, so does Plato. So do a thousand other philosophers. Sure. And I get that. Um, Wait, where are we going? I feel like I've derailed us. What was the overall point here? Can you give us like a, a umbrella view of what you're bringing I guess to the us? definition of leisure was the main point. Are we trying to land this plane right now? I don't, I don't know. Um, the, the other idea that was interesting from it that this should be a shorter conversation than what we just went through. So... Like I said, section three is where he defines what leisure is. So again, this is probably the main point of what we're talking about here is that Peeper is defining leisure as non-activity, as uh, contemplative celebration, as existing for its own sake. The book before that, book two or section two, he's talking about this idea of difficulty and value being tied together. And I think this is where I wanted to go, Graham, when you brought up the mm-hmm. paper that your your kids are working on. So there's this idea. Peeper proposes that there's this idea that hard things are better than easy things. So things that we work for are more valuable than things that are given to us or have just received. Is that is that something that lines up? Like, do you all agree with that idea? No, not not necessarily. Um, uh, I definitely think that like we can feel that way and we get biases towards that. Like, if you work really hard and make ten bucks, you're going to value that ten bucks more than if you just sort of found ten bucks on the street. Yeah. I, I there, I'm sure. I think there's a there's an actual like. Um, sort of cognitive bias that 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 is called, but yeah. I can't remember what it is. But I think generally it's it's true, like that um, things that are worth doing are 
um, are more difficult than, than, than things that are easier to do. Yep. Or if you asked 100 people, if you defined for them what ratio and intellectus mean and you said which one is, like, better, what, do you think people would have a preference for one? Ever? Like, I think they would. I think ratio would be the one that would be like, yeah, it's the hard work. Like, hard work will lead to uh, more knowledge, more outcomes. I think in our world, we yeah, our modern world, people have, and I definitely see this in students, they have yeah. a predisposition to saying that working hard is the best thing to, to do. Like, if you're a hard worker, that's, like, the greatest accompl- uh, sort of praise that you can be given to somebody. Yep. Um, yep. I think, I think that's exactly right, and that's that's what Pieper gets at here. He says that Immanuel Kant is where that idea comes from, and I'm sure you all remember— Good old hard-working Protestants. Yeah, and so that—and and, uh, Max Weber. So then Max Weber comes in and says that the Protestant ethic is hard work. Yeah. Um, and, uh so he get uh, so Weber comes many years after Kant, but that's the point that he comes to also. Uh, but this whole this second section is all just to say that just because a thing is hard does not mean it is good, and that at the point where we are perfected in virtue, we will do good things easily, and that will be better for us than it being hard for us to do good things. Well, so, I was going to say if we're talking about doing the good as hard work, it's hard yes. work because of the fall. I don't think it's what we're supposed to. We're not doing good should not be the same hard work that we find it to be today. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and this is, he gets to this in the philosophical act, but this is the distinction between Kant and Aquinas that Kant says the, uh, I think, I think that's the right distinction that Kant is talking about the fall as breaking everything and that there's no hope for humankind. And it must be hard work for us to do good because there's no good in us. Mm-hmm. Well, Aquinas looks at the fall as more of a bend and that there are problems in us and our desires will lead us to the wrong place. Um, but there are still good things in man. Um, and that bend can be corrected in some ways. So um, through my sanctification, I should be able to forgive people more easily the longer I'm, I, I walk with Christ. Uh, so that it being easier is a sign of um, virtue, not a lack of virtue. Does and, that distinction make – am I being clear on and that? And that Kantian uh, sort of definition of the fall of man being completely irrevocable predisposes the soul to acedia. Yes. Yes. Because, because there's no hope. Because there's no hope. There's well, why should I work to improve myself morally? I'm a fallen person. Yes. And so I struggle with this. Yeah. And then you stay in that struggle instead of doing anything about it. And we all know that when someone says they're struggling with something, what they really mean is I'm doing it. I'm, I'm sinning. I'm it. doing it, and I don't really want to not do it, but I also sort of recognize it's something I shouldn't be doing. Or sometimes I I try not to do it, but then I do it again. But then deep down, struggle. I really I'm really not going to change. Yeah. Well, maybe I think that's going to be the right place to land this. Um, in that, um, that wonder, the, the, what, I think you just you were just talking about this of that the answer to a lack of leisure, and what Pieper means when he talks about philosophy is not metaphysics, it's not ethics, it's not um, um, ontology, it's not any of those things. It is it is wonder, and it is a celebration of all that is. And so, whether you agree with these three rules um, that he lays out of non-activity, contemplative celebration, leisure existing for its own sake. We should feel a sense of wonder in creation, in um, books that we're reading, in ideas that we're that we're going about with, um, and that that is what Aquinas proposes as the solution to sloth or acedia, mm-hmm. and it's what Pieper says we are lacking in our society today. So, how can I make if we're going to go with this idea of six days of work and one day of of, of leisure? How can I make one seventh of my English class something that is wonderful, like something that is filled with wonder? Because, um, like I said, if I as soon as I give my students an assignment, I can see their brains switch to. I need to here is like I need to sort of now follow this plan to 
produce this artifact to get this grade. Um, and my feeling is is that kills a little bit of the of the or it mm. it, it salts the earth for for the, that leisure that wonder. Um, so how do you have like a one seventh of a of a class or one seventh of a of a school year dedicated to actual leisure? Cancel all your grades <laughs> and don't have regular classes and just um, do lectures. No, you can't. But surely that's not the answer. So well, we, there's a stream on the new campus. We'll be able to send the kids and be like, sit by the water and, think. <laughs> and read it. Just yeah. think. And just enjoy think. It. Um, Watch the fish. There no, is. No, but is, is, it, it, is, is ever, leisure trainable? Is leisure teachable? Yes. I mean, yeah, yes. This is to a broader question that's been asked for thousands of years of is virtue trainable? And yes, uh, my answer is yes. Oh, okay, cool. So, but (laughs) let's talk. So I don't know if you all have ever listened to this delightful podcast from um, Cersei Institute called Close Reads. Mm -hmm. Um, They're reading through. But Cersei Institute is fantastic. Yeah, they're they're reading through Twelfth Night right now. And um, I I didn't think I liked Shakespeare very much, but hearing them talk about it's been delightful. What? Sorry. You didn't think you liked Shakespeare? Sorry. Have you read a lot of Shakespeare? Um, clearly not, uh, because I thought I'd read Twelfth Night, and I could not remember a single plot point from that. So Judgy, sorry. judge. Well, I'm just, no, no, uh, it's okay. I need it, like, you, you got to— I teach at a classical school. I did theater in high school. Like, I should love Shakespeare there's more than just, I do. There's a view of Shakespeare that he's hard to understand and really stodgy, and his language is difficult, when really, that guy was a verbal cowboy. He right. made up half the words he used. Right. He— I, I, I read somewhere that he invented the prefix un to undo to unhair someone's head. That was yeah. that was him. He yeah. just made stuff up. And it, it, half of our idioms come from him, like dead as a doornail, Shakespeare. Yeah. All the stuff we say. And it, so And he was writing for the common person. So like the people who would come to the globe were like, you know, they paid their five cents or whatever to get a, a front row seat. It, it wasn't just the high minded people who were watching it, it was like common people. But I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, maybe I need more, I need more definitions. I need more, as, I need more as definitions. a side note, so before we head to the Cersei Institute, one time I read an article written by a headmaster of a classical school, yeah. and he says, our students have been reading Harry Potter, and we will not have them read Harry Potter in our school. Harry Potter is full of, you know, witches and magic and sex and all these things. And he's like, they will read only Shakespeare. And I'm like, <laughs> Which has- I'm not sure this guy's ever read Shakespeare because yeah. Shakespeare's bread and butter is witches and magic <laughs> and sex and all that intrigue that comes with it. Oh, it's funny. Um, but this was on, uh, this was a tangent on their podcast. So a tangent on our, whatever. What they were talking about is that these people uh, often get this question of what books should I teach? What books should I teach in 12th grade, mm-hmm. 11th grade, 10th grade, 9th grade? And the problem they have in answering that question is that the books you teach should be the books that you love. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't love that book, you are not going to teach that well. You're not going to teach from a place of leisure because you're going to be just trying to get through it as fast as you can because you want to get to Dante's Inferno. The deliverable. Or, oh, to the book or, you actually yeah, to, to the one you enjoy. Yeah. So, the, so, Graham, the way that you love Paradise Lost is the way to teach from leisure because you love Paradise Lost. You are discovering it alongside those students. But here's the thing. So I didn't love it my first year. Good. Um, it's more like... I faked it, right? Like, like I knew that there was things in here that were lovable, but I didn't enjoy it until, until I enjoyed it, right? Like, it's I didn't love it until I treated it like it was something that was worth loving, and then before long, I realized I loved it. Yeah, and that I think that's the importance of having classics and having a Western canon that we can say, <laughs> bless you. These are books that people who are smarter than me have respected before I came on this earth, and. They're at least worth a read. Sure. They're at least worth a consideration. So I think, so you loving and enjoying that book is how you will uh, convey to other to your students how to love and enjoy books. AJ, you've talked before about how your one of your goals with the ninth grade class is to teach the love of literature because they need to catch that now so they can succeed in Graham's class and then Catherine's class and then the senior class after that. Maybe do you have any 
deep insights into this question too of how you it's, teach. I agree. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So AJ, wouldn't you say that like teaching them the love of literature is enjoy, like enjoying the thing itself? Like that is that's the leisure part yes. of it. Yeah. Yeah. It all comes back together. It all comes back together. Wow. Well done. So I think that is going to wrap it up for today. Um, so yeah, we talked about leisure today. Talked about the three elements of it. Uh, I, th- I think of this podcast as leisurely. I just I so much enjoy yeah. this. Um, I'm just receptive to whatever weird things you all are going to say, and um, <laughs> it is it is celebration to be here. So podcast as the basis of culture. That's exactly. Yep. Change the yeah. name. All right. Well, that is our podcast here on leisure, dear listener. We thank you for listening to us uh, wrestle with this idea, struggle with it, even. Mm. Oh, oh gosh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, And if you have any questions, concerns, feedback, clarifications, please email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. And before we sign off, gentlemen, I am going to spring something on you. I'm introducing a new category to end the podcast called Classical Stuff Graham Got Wrong. (laughs) So I was listening to an old podcast of ours on the Christian Night, and I was talking about how of uh, chivalry and how chivalry came from the french word cheveux meaning horse cheveux does not mean horse nope cheveux means hair <laughs> <laughs> chevaux however means horse, means horse. so, so i spent 40 minutes or however long it was talking to you about a code of hair <laughs> which i mean i'm sure we could come up with a hair code uh we have a dress code at veritas which involves hair hair, um so that's chivalry i guess anyway um thank you for listening hold on that's not the only thing we've got wrong i think in was it the first episode we did the tripartite soul that was homer anyway we did the tripartite soul and we kept on saying tripartite yeah like like the tides rolling like the tides rolling it's it's with a t tripartite and i think there's a variety of other things we've sort of screwed up so i confused justice and prudence on our last podcast so we gotta save some of these like this category needs to have you have to save your mistakes for future categories that's true awkward there are plenty of other mistakes (laughs) (laughs) we'll comb our podcast for our mistakes yeah hey we're all amateurs at this we should also plug our website and itunes thing so we have a new website and it's classicalstuff.net and you can go and you can find all of our episodes there uh, and some nice paintings to go along with them we also include some extra content like on the logical fallacies i've listed Mm. a bunch of the fallacies beneath the episode so you can find those for reference uh, you can also find our podcast on iTunes. It's a way easier way to get our podcast, and you can find it through there. We're still trying to get on the Googles and the Spotify, but Spotify's method for getting it in is really you send them a letter and hope right. that they respond. Yeah, it's very strange. Now we're not getting on. Yeah. <laughs> well, they ha- clearly haven't listened to us yet, so eventually. <laughs> so this is going to be the one. Yeah, so oh, Spotify, no. <laughs> get on board, my dudes. Please. Yeah. So there you go. That's That's it for today, and this is Graham, Bees, and AJ signing off. So thank you, listener, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Doom ba doo ba doo 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 doo